Hello, welcome to Storage Intensity, a podcast that is intense on storage and storage-related technologies. Each week, we sit down face-to-face with storage vendors and influencers to dive deep on subjects that matter to IT professionals. I'm your host, George Crump, Lead Analyst at Storage Switzerland. Joining me on this episode of Storage Intensity is Patrick Haar. He is the CEO of Panzora. Patrick, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be here. So, uh, Let's talk a little bit about, uh, let's start with Pansora, who you guys are, what do you do, what problems do you solve? So just generally speaking, where do you guys fit in the market? Yeah, at its core, we're a software-defined cloud uh, file services company. Um, okay. and we're, really what that means is we've seen this dramatic transition from the data center model, data center world that we grew up in, to now a cloud-based world, cloud-first world. We help customers shift uh, all their file-based uh, data management into cloud. It's not just a single cloud, it could be Amazon, Google, Azure, uh, such that uh, typically customers will save about 70% versus uh, traditional file-based storage. Uh, and second, uh, there's unique things we do in what's called a global file system that enables these customers to collaborate in real time uh, on these file sets. And we use the cloud as a backdrop. And with that, you will see dramatic productivity gains, as well as profitability. And, and actually, this has really been a, a sweet spot for us, uh, particularly of late whether you're a gamer, whether you're a manufacturer, whether you're a building designer, uh, whether you're a software developer. If you think about it, you've got distributed uh, teams around the world. They're all working on large files. Um, again, it could be that software development package that's tested in India. How do you move those? How do you collaborate in real time on those? So at its core, about how, number one, how do we uh, transition customers from this uh, traditional NAS-based model to a cloud-first model uh, for files? And second, how do we uh, effectively have those customers collaborate on that uh, those file sets? Okay, that makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about you. I think we had you on to meet the CEO. Uh, I want to say it was probably about two years ago. I think you had just sort of taken the helm yeah. uh, of the company, if I recall. Um, so just some quick background on yourself. What uh, what were you doing before Panzora? What uh, attracted you to the company? So I'm a serial entrepreneur in both large and small companies. Uh, before uh, Panzora, I spent, we were just talking about HP, mm-hmm. uh, spent uh, five years there uh, driving the hybrid cloud business. Uh, grew that business to about a billion and a half dollars over that four year period. Uh, that was up from about 10 million initially. Wow. Um, so a little bit of success there. And, and prior to that was uh, doing VDI at uh, really spearheading VDI initiatives at VMware. Um, which was, as I say, a little bit of serial entrepreneur in the large companies because those were new ideas that we were getting going. Um, Sometimes that's harder than just starting your own uh, Well, we can have another podcast just on that. (laughs) Uh, And then I've I've done three startups uh, before that. uh, Sold the company to uh, McAfee in the security space. uh, Did a uh, storage company, an object storage company competing as uh, S3. um, And then did a company called Sonera, uh, which then sold to McData. And so... Long and short, spent a lot of time in infrastructure and, and really seeing this evolution from this on-prem model to a cloud-based model. Just out of curiosity, who was the object storage company? Nervonix. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was a company I founded and uh, now that's a basis for Oracle Cloud. Okay. Got it. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, so let's go a little bit more detail into uh, Panzora. Yep. So my, my sense is that a lot of your customers are sort of uh, reaching the end of uh, end of life or the end of usefulness of their on-prem systems like an Isilon or, or a NetApp or something like that. Yeah. And they're looking for sort of that next generation thing. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think one of the new kind of components is, and you mentioned it sort of in your opening, is this, this concept that there is no headquarters anymore, right? There's 
yeah, 50 of them, right? And so how do you collaborate between all these different offices? Is that a pretty, is that how people find you? So I, I'd say two ways. Number one, uh, we, you just mentioned, as I look at it, there's this global collaborative economy. Mm-hmm. You can't survive unless you're working across the globe today. Right. And there's many reasons for that. Number one, I got to be able to tap into the best talents. As an example, we have a distributed engineering team. We've got uh, engineers in Chengdu. We've got engineers in, in India and, and Eastern Europe. And so if you can't tap into the best talent, you can't succeed. Right. Right. And it's core there. Not only do you need to tap into that talent, you also need to, you, you now need to bring the data to those, in this case, file to those, those users or those workers. Um, and third, you've also got distributed applications. Uh, so you kind of have this amalgamation of these three, uh, three intersecting points, which then makes it tough if you're working in a traditional model, traditional NetApp model is an example where if I wanted to share data, I would replicate data, right? right? I would create a replica copy and then I create copies upon copies. And next thing I know I have a mess. Right. Um, and then you actually did not solve the real problem, which was collaborating in real time on these files. Right. So that's at, at a core, we have a global file system. It's an eight generation global file system. And, and for those that don't know what that means, it effectively means we, as we bring file-based data, we store it as a single source of truth in a, a cloud A, B, or C um, in an S3 equivalent bucket. And then we will put a, uh, a, what we call a filer, a software-defined filer in any location. At that point, there's a distributed global uh, namespace such that I can see that exact same data not only that, we marry that with global, real-time global file locking. So this means that if you're accessing it from you know, Bangladesh and someone's accessing here in Campbell, mm-hmm. you'll have the lock uh, on that file so you don't corrupt and step on each other. So this in turn really dramatically helps these uh, very large global corporations that have several sites and need to be able to tap into the best talent to simultaneously work on these file sets. So we have uh, large amusement parks uh, that did some of the latest, greatest, coolest uh, rides on the planet that uh, used to have designers fly in to two locations. Now they don't have to do that. Now they tap into the best design talent. Uh, we've got uh, movie studios, right, that uh, want to render and simultaneously work sure. on the movies. Uh, you've got large gaming companies, some of the most popular games out there that, uh, again, distributed teams. In this case, you could have extremely, extremely large files. As you can imagine, trying to move off a very large file from here in Campbell down to India, that could be problematic in and of itself, even with all the high-speed networking. Um, so at its core, we're really playing on this global collaborative economy trend and, and helping customers collaborate in real time. But I said there's two reasons why they really come to us. The second is that we're just highlighting transitioning from this old 30-year-old you know, file-based data center model, right? Whether it be NetApp, Isilon, BNX, great, great solutions. Um, but again, having been around the block a little bit, these models are built over a 30-year period and it was all built on resiliency, right? And so that's the reason why your friendly uh, salesperson would come in and say you need to buy, not for every one terabyte, you're buying four or six terabytes. Right, right. And next thing you know, you had copy data sprawl, you had data, really data chaos everywhere. Sure. And we've dramatically simplified that by using the cloud as the backdrop or the, the single source of truth. Um, so typically, I would say there's one other intersection point. You have just huge growth of data, unstructured data particularly. Uh, that data growth is outpacing those traditional systems, both from a cost, but also a management and complexity aspect. Mm-hmm. So you, with us, we'll dramatically simplify that environment. Again, we'll store that as a single source of truth. 
Um, inside the software, we also do WAN optimization. We do real time, uh, we'll do inline dedupe uh, as well as global dedupe. Um, and then we'll do uh, basically at rest encryption and then flight encryption. So that in turn, not only are we managing the data, but we're also replacing a lot of things that were in the data center, something like riverbed, uh, data domain. So you get a dramatic consolidation. In fact, right. that's where, and in turn, the, the net result, you'll typically see about a 70% cost savings versus using that traditional model. And lo and behold, you also don't, you don't lose anything from a performance aspect because we run our software on Flash. Um, this reason why we focus very much on unstructured data. Mm-hmm. Uh, unstructured data, as soon as you create it, gets cold. Right. Um, and you know all the studies, I mean, 30 days, you could be 70% cold, 90% cold. Oh, yeah. So it's really conducive to our algorithms to be able to store, basically we'll cache the, uh, the active data set and we'll see 99.8% hit rates in that active data set. So we're extremely high performance, but we're using the, the cloud as a, basically an infinite disk, right? And it's a cost-effective inf- infinite disk that I can uh, dramatically, you know, easily store this and manage that data. So the, the what's I think interesting about that, so just kind of to frame up the architecture for everybody. So at, at the at the core is some sort of cloud store, and, and you said cloud A, B, or C, so I'm assuming we can guess. Really any S3 compliant okay. type of uh, cloud storage environment. Okay, so it could be an could S3 be. Book, uh, on-prem, even yes. if the customer had some security concerns. Absolutely, and we have a lot of customers that uh, still deal with regulations, uh, security concerns. We have three-letter acronym customers sure. in the government space, uh, heavy financial, it's typically in financial services and healthcare and right. in government, we still see much more of a, a private cloud orientation, but at its core, any S3 compliant uh, object storage is really what we play with. Okay, and then out of the, the, I guess the data center kind of becomes the edge in that model, right? So yeah. at the edge, uh, whether it's a data center or remote office or whatever, you put your software uh, now, do you um, sell an appliance that gets installed there? Do they just load software on an Intel box with a, with a bunch of flash in it? What's the configuration like there? So typical deployments, uh, actually VM-based. Okay. Um, so at, at the quote, intelligent edge, and that edge could be an office, could be a data center. Um, it's typically ESX or VMware's uh, uh, okay. VM. So we'll, we'll run inside of that. Uh, that's 90% of the deployments we do. Okay. Um, and again, that could either be in a private situation, a pure private behind the firewall where there's no communication whatsoever, uh, or a hybrid uh, scenario where they're actually still running applications of data at that edge, but they're communicating back to uh, uh, the core, in this case would be the cloud. Right. Or more and more, we're actually seeing just pure in-cloud uh, instances. And in that case, it runs natively inside of Amazon as a Zen uh, type of hypervisor or in uh, Azure, um, more in the Hyper-V type of context. Google run more in the uh, KVM context. And so in that in that uh, pure cloud setup, the, the, I assume that's because the application itself is running also in the cloud and it's just accessing through you guys? Yeah, it typically is just on that particular use case. Um, even within Amazon, as a great company, uh, but using our global file system, we don't have to create copy data or replicas between east and west zones, as an example. Mm-hmm. One single source of truth, you have a, basically a VM or the software running in the east location and the software running in the west. That means that the application is again uh, accessing from those those different locations as mm-hmm. a single source of truth. Hey, would it work with, uh, it just, just 
occurred to me, but it would work with like some of the desktop as a service uh, stuff yes, as well? Yes, absolutely. We have one of the key use cases is VDI. Okay. Because um, if you think about some of the complexities, and I, I spearheaded a lot of that before in a prior life. Sure. Um, it's about how do you get the data to uh, those VDI instances, right? right. And those, um, it's been some of the challenge. VDI has been somewhat expensive, right? Uh, for lack of a better term. And, and so we do help customers, A, get that data to those VDI instances. And this is actually starting to take off in the cloud. We have uh, partners like WorkSpot, right. um, where they use us very regularly uh, to basically bring that data to those VDI instances and then also access that data from any location. Yeah, cause I think that was always a challenge with like the sort of these desktop as a service things is okay, you can, it actually kind of makes a lot of sense. You just spin up that VDI instance when you need it. Yeah. And then, but how do you get back to your data? Cause it was, it's somewhere else, right? So yeah. it, you guys kind of solved that problem, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah. And we also did that with Frame, which was another one that was acquired by Nutanix. So okay. we really helped that, that market because again, it's about how do you bring the data to those instances that we just talked about. Sure. Now, as I recall, another uh, big, I don't know, I want to say market or use case for you guys is sort of the uh, architectural engineering type of uh, yeah. guys that are doing CAD CAM and things like yeah. that. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's interesting. I had been in storage for quite some time. I'd never heard of this term AEC. Right. And I got here and I said, what is AEC? Um, it, it, interestingly enough, architectural engineering construction, that last one, the construction side, I think is the largest market in the US. Huh. Um, and so at its core, this is really about the CAD CAM world, right? I can't beat on the, the manufacturing side, but it really is about how do I have designers uh, using these Autodesk, AutoCAD type of applications, rather than working in a single location. I can now work distributed sites, distributed teams. And it goes back to what I talked to earlier. It is a, uh, this global economy, global uh, collaborative economy, right. but it's also a highly, highly competitive economy for talent. Sure. So as you imagine in, in this in this sector, in the EC sector in particular, I, ha I may have design uh, um, skill sets for what's called Revit. Uh, Revit is a, one of the most popular uh, Autodesk applications. In fact, I think it is the most popular one because it enables these designers to do some really cool things with buildings and bridges and really anything that you see out there and you, you pass every day. Um, but the big challenge in that world was how do I make distributed teams of designers work together? Um, really was not possible before us um, because the, the application wasn't necessarily designed. Well, because the file format's a little unique, as I recall, right? It, it's not like there's just this one file and, and that's yeah. all you have to worry about, right? So there's it's, it's actually a very large file with elements inside there, right. right? And so you have, and so that's some things that we do on that real-time global file locking mm -hmm. is very important. Real-time matters, right? It right. is about how do I make sure that if you're working in New York and I'm working in San Jose, A, I don't step on one another, but B, there's a secondary aspect. We do what's called byte range locking or okay. element locking. So that means that you could be worth, effectively multiple people could simultaneously work on the same file, but in subsets of that file. Okay, so different layers. Different layers of that file. Uh, so you're building a large amusement park. Someone's working on the bathroom while someone's working on this particular portion of the ride versus working on this street uh -huh. aspect. And so it gives a lot of flexibility for these distributed teams. Sure. Um, at its core, we, again, as I mentioned, we've, uh, we're on H iteration of this global file system, right. again, delivered in what's called Freedom. Uh, the reason why we call it Freedom is because you can choose any cloud, private, public, or hybrid type of deployment. Right. Um, 
But in this eighth generation, we've done a tremendous amount of optimization and uh, to enable just thousands of, uh, of team members and sites to work simultaneously together. And at its core, if uh, have you ever read the book uh, by um, Clayton Christensen or seen some of his studies about what job do you get hired for as a, and he studied why milkshakes got hired. And it's an odd thing to study milkshakes, buy them at McDonald's, like why did you go buy them? Uh, but it's really interesting from a product design standpoint of why do your customers hire you? Right. Um, and in this particular case, they're all strapped, these design firms, these AEC firms, they've hired a tremendous amount of talent across multiple numbers of sites. Um, so A, they have this, this problem of how do I help these designers collaborate uh, right. together so work as one team. Because you imagine that we have one customer that has 10,000, I think uh, 10,000 simultaneous projects and they're constantly bringing in more and more projects. So it doesn't mean that it can necessarily fit it into office A or B. Right. What they need to do is be able to tap into all the talent pools and almost time shift as it relates to where that talent may exist. Could not do that before us. Um, but second is they've hired all this talent, right? You start getting profitability per head uh, while your top line's going up, your profitability per head actually starts going down. So how do you maximize that efficiency and productivity in turn also drive your profitability? Um, so we've had really a twofold benefit with working with these AEC firms. Number one, we help them collaborate in real time, which is a design goal of theirs at the board level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but second, we help them you know, with that productivity and you are seeing pretty big uh, profitability increases, which is very important for that set of, uh, for that set of those customers. Okay, any, any other, I mean, we've kind of hit on the, the, basically anybody that has multiple offices probably is is a candidate for what you guys do. I mean, yeah, because at, at its core, if you've got three or more offices and you have distributed teams that are working on a project, right? That's at its core aspect. Um, because again, uh, let's let's talk about gaming, right? Yeah. We all have kids uh, or know people that play all these different crazy games. Um, the guys that, are really into it, aren't kids. <laughs> yeah, they're not kids, right? right. It is, and they spend fact, I probably should not even say that. It's, yeah. it's really, uh, it's open across the demographics, right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, you'll release a title, it could be a $10 billion type of title. Yeah. Um, and so with that, these they, they start, they germinate these games in one particular area of the, of the country or the world. And then they need to be able to tap into talent across different domains, different elements of that game. Um, next thing you know, you need to, you have a pretty large skill set you got to be working across. Sure. And so that fits this very mold of I've got this germinated idea, I've got uh, starts in Office A, but I need to tap into several other offices of talent. And so how the, can they simultaneously work on this game? At the end of the day, how do I get it out on time, on budget? Because they, they're like movie schedules. If I don't get it out before the Christmas uh, holiday, as an example, I'm going to lose a lot of money. Right, sure. And in, on the flip side, I'll gain a lot of money if I get it out. So we help gamers, uh, these game designers, dramatically get these uh, these titles out on time, on budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amusement parks, as I mentioned, is another key area. This AEC space, anything in architectural and engineering, uh, where you're getting these just large, complex projects, billions and billions of dollars are on the line. How do you get them out on time, on budget? Um, movie studios, we're just rendering, uh, you know, building movies. To uh, healthcare, let's think about a challenge in healthcare for a moment. Uh, a, I've got just huge growth of data. Right. Uh, every image you do is now in a 4K image. And um, so it's not just in how many images on average does a person do in their lifetime. There's, there's a lot. 
So you magnify that it's an exponential growth. Uh, but at its core, I have doctors and hospitals that need simultaneous access from multiple different locations. Right. It's the same problem set, uh, different orientation, different file type, but uh, nonetheless the same uh, same uh, kind of context. So how do I access this data in real time from multiple different locations without breaking the bank of storing all this data? Mm -hmm. um, same in financial services. Uh, financial services, again, we have a, we replace NetApp and some of the largest uh, Wall Street type of environments, but at its core, there's there's a slightly different element here. But at its core, they have multiple offices, multiple data centers, and simultaneous access to the same data for their distributed applications. Um, they also have a lot of developers that use uh, kind of a, a private-based GitHub type of aspect, where I need to pull containers and move containers in different locations. Uh, so similar type of context in that, that uh, again, I'm building software and they need to access and, and work on that software simultaneously. I said there's a slight difference uh, that we've noticed in, in healthcare and financial services in particular. Um, at, at its core, as I'm shifting into this object-based world, right? Object has been this panacea for storage for quite some time. Right. Uh, but we still also deal in a file-based semantic world, right? We 85% of the applications are still file-based, oh, right? Absolutely. That's NFS or SMB. So how I have this challenge of NFS, SMB, and then I've got object, which is kind of the future state of what people want to be at. Um, so I have two choices. I either rewrite it, go cloud native, and uh, just access S3 equivalents uh, on its own through the developer uh, orientation, or um, I can simply make it work in that context. And, and I highlight that because I come back to the financial services, like the Wall Street case, uh, one of the banks that we worked with, they decided they were gonna move to a new cloud data center design, still private, uh, three different data centers, brand new. And they decided that object storage would be their core context because developers are important in there and, and all the new cloud native applications they were writing. But they had a challenge of over 3,200 applications that were file-based, uh, written over 20, 30 years, right? right? And, it was one of how do we move these applications into this new world? I think there was a large consulting, like I think estimate of about a billion dollars to rewrite all these things. And and not only that, there's just no skill sets left. I mean, people move right. Wall Street. Uh, the reason why I highlight the long is short, one of the other key benefits that we, we provide for our customers is they can effectively move those file-based applications into this new cloud world without rewrite. Right. And without process flow change and, and without losing performance, and that that becomes a huge benefit. So there's there's secondary benefits that are magnified in terms of moving to our new architecture with these customers, and that's become highly beneficial. Uh, so as I mentioned, it's 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 really where if you have three or more sites, you've got teams distributed across these sites. I have applications that require simultaneous access uh, to this data. Um, that's really our, our sweet spot. And, and it's not just about, hey, I need copious amounts of, of data storage, right? That, that's, that's, I wouldn't say that's somewhat trivial, but it is, uh, and it's a benefit of what we provide, but it's really at that core, how do these customers collaborate in real time on this, these data stuff? And, and I think fundamentally, you could potentially fix some things within the file system and, and NAS systems that are out there, but they all fall short on the collaboration standpoint. They, right? they all, and, and 100% of the time. Right. Right. So, uh, and uh, it's just inherent in their designs, right? And we have the challenge, or we challenge an opportunity because global file systems have been around since the Android file system, I think, in the 80s. Right. 
Um, but it's a, it's a complex problem set because you're dealing with networks, you're dealing with uh, and latency, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously is something important. Uh, you're dealing with high performance storage interfaces, right, for the applications. And the cloud actually became a huge benefit to solve the, the real, as again, what we call this global cloud file system, because it now enabled us to store that data as a single source of truth. And then through that distributed global namespace, see that same data anywhere so we don't have to replicate it. And that was a core problem in those older designs is I have to replicate data, which once I do that, I'm not working on the same version or the same golden copy or golden version. Um, and that just becomes problematic the more and more data you throw at it, the more and more distributed teams you throw at it. Yeah, I remember when, it was a few years ago now, certainly, but uh, I remember when you guys first really came out with this sort of the global lock concept. And that, yeah. that to me was a real game changer for you and really the industry, right? Because yeah. once I can, I mean, because other, especially at the time, it was always, oh, well, we'll just make sure that the prior file wasn't erased. Well, I, I mean, I guess that's okay, but now I've got two different versions of the file and I got to figure out which one, you know, and, and both may have important changes to it. Well, how do I, in a Word document, I guess I could figure that out. In a CAD CAM document, I don't know how I do that, right? I mean, yeah. you have to basically, one of them, you got to pick and redraw the stuff that was in the other, right? So at its core, we believe versioning is not a good thing. Right. Because again, you're just creating copies and copies and copies. Um, now it may only be a small element change between that. And that's the difference between us and someone like my competitor where we do real time global file locking. We don't create versions to actually get around some of the limitations of doing more of a centralized locking approach. Right. Um, and that, that's just kind of compute, distributed computing 101. You want to do more distributed uh, file locking is what we do. Right. And uh, that in turn enables us to work with some of these very, very high IO applications like Revit coming back to that way. It's, I think uh, Revit loves NVIDIA mm -hmm. uh, or NVIDIA loves Revit because it is such a, Everybody loves NVIDIA right the, now. Everyone loves <laughs> NVIDIA, yeah. um, but uh, it's such a high IO yeah. like orientation application and needs almost a GPU type of approach. Right. So you can imagine how do you work in those high end environments sure. and, and enable these distributed teams to work in real time. It's a complex problem, yeah. but it's something we've uh, just we've solved very well. And, and that's the reason why we have huge uptake in that AEC space. There's one other uh, area that's also starting to burgeon for us has been in the chip designs, okay. EDA uh, aspect. And so as you can imagine, the same type of problem, I've got distributed teams, right. uh, large blueprints of, the, of these chips. Um, how do I simultaneously work on these, these chips that's effectively from a software orientation? So it, it's, it's really pretty boundless in terms of opportunity sure. uh, as we've seen them. Um, well, it's not a. It's really not a niche market, right? I yeah. mean, maybe twenty years ago it might have been because everybody had one headquarters. Right now, nobody has one headquarters, yeah. right? So the, it, it, I think you said it, said it well, right? If you have three offices and you need to work on the same data, you're yeah. probably a candidate, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, a couple of months ago, uh, we were at uh, reInvent. I met with some of your team. And you guys have sort of a new offering that yeah. I want to kind of dive into at least for a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. that? So it's core. So I've now been with the company about three and a half years. And so my personal investment thesis coming in, A, we'd have this huge growth of unstructured data, which we've talked about. B, we would have challenges in terms of collaborating on that data set. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was at the core of why I came here. I just love the technology and how do we apply that technology to broader markets and, and continue to grow. But there was a second thing that I, I felt fervently coming into this company. Um, 
So as we were helping customers shift to this cloud-based model, right, and storing data across not just a single cloud, but across multiple clouds, it really became how do I, quote, unlock the power of that data, right? How do I provide insight and analytics and compliance to that data? Because uh, it's a big challenge having lived in this world last 20, 20 plus years. Um, so when I was recruiting my head of engineering, uh, it was one of these, uh, I, I guess, uh, instead of using a napkin, you now use an iPad, uh, <laughs> right? You start drawing on the iPads some ideas. And so we started sketching out, which is what is now vision.ai, okay. um, which at its core vision is all about how to, A, how do I give a single vision of data mm -hmm. across the enterprise estate? So whether that data is living in the data center, whether that's data, data living in Amazon, Google, Azure, how do, how do I get that single view of that data? Again, with the, hence the name vision. Um, and there's a double meaning to this, and I'll come back to that in a okay. moment. The second piece is now that I've got a single vision of that data, how do I provide analytics to that data set, right? Um, I, I, I fervently believe we're now living in a world of not just innovation, but integration, mm -hmm. right? And, and I highlight this because open source is, uh, I'm a huge fan of open source. Right. Um, there's open source really for everything and communities that have built just just very, very cool things, right? right sure. Not just cool things, they built things that uh, solve practical use cases um, and they do it much faster than we could have done this on our own as teams. And so we, uh, at its core with Vision, there's a big problem in analytics with um, I, I, all other analytics services require you to tear data off. Right. Once I tear data off, it becomes, it's cold and inactive. And if I want to actually bring it back online, I have to rehydrate it, right. right? And so we set out to do a few things inside of Vision. Number one, we rewrote uh, basically the way of how do you store analytics data? So these huge data sets um, and having a lot of expertise in object storage and how do you drive high performance interfaces into object storage? Mm -hmm. In this case, effectively we would put a block driver inside of object. Okay. And so what this means, uh, and it's all container-based, hyperscale type of approach. So what this means is I can now keep data ultra, in fact, Amazon or Andy Jassy uh, talked about a key, uh, a new preview service called Ultra Warm in, inside of Elasticsearch. Right. Um, and was able to search across two petabytes of data in real time because right. it was never tiered off. We've done that across all effectively open source analytics platforms, right? Uh, so. That means I can store huge amounts of data, but always keep it on, always keep it available, and always keep it, quote, ultra warm. Okay. Um, so that solves this, this problem of, A, I had to tear data off, but B, it, was, it would cost me far too much to run it inside of an EBS storage tier. Okay. Um, so that's at a basis, what we call our hyperconverged Kubernetes platform that sits underneath uh, Vision. Okay. Uh, that can be deployed in, in something like Amazon, but it also be deployed on-prem as a private managed service or in cloud service providers. Um, we then married that with multi-tenant Kubernetes. Uh, this becomes important because if uh, in the analytics world, again, I typically will have to set up te separate test clusters and production clusters or dev clusters, production clusters. And next thing you know, as an example, you go inside of Amazon, do Elasticsearch service, I have to, I can be $2,000 a month just on a single cluster without putting a single byte of data in it. Not necessarily uh, efficient. Sure. Um, so we married that with uh, multi-tenant Kubernetes. And then we 
we wanted to solve one of the key challenges in, in, in why we leverage the open source benefits of Elasticsearch and Spark, because mm-hmm. at its core, we really are an open analytics service. Right. Um, the challenge with that is those two platforms, and there's others, uh, Cassandra, complex as heck. You have to have a propeller head. No pun, no, no, there's nothing against that. But if I don't want to manage and invest in that side, and I just want a one-click, single, you know, quick deployment, um, that's what you get with us. And okay. so we really we wanted to attack this at a multi-layer problem. A, the storage tier dramatically upset that that apple cart there. Mm-hmm. We have a 10 to 12x cost advantage now in storing huge data sets, keeping it hot. Marry that with the best of open source, uh, but do it in a multi-tenant, one-click deployment area. And finally, we wanted to basically aggregate all the great work out there from applications and dashboards that run inside these databases or these open source environments. Um, and we, so we created an open marketplace, right? So now, again, at its core, it's this hyper-converged Kubernetes platform where I can run a YAML file or a container in this. Uh, so now not only are we delivering in this open marketplace one-click dashboards so I can get immediate time and visualization value to these to this data, mm-hmm. but second, you can have third parties do that. So now where we have with Vision, which we launched fully in GA in April of this year, mm-hmm. and we've now, I think, at last count, have well over 800 counts um, that have signed up uh, to the service. Wow. Um, what we have is a very, very powerful search and analytics uh, service that, that provides back to that core first value statement of single vision of data. Mm-hmm. I now have that single vision of data across this enterprise estate. And second, I now have a very fast and efficient way to analyze this data, search and analyze this data. And the final thing I, I would push here or note, and I believe in 2020, it's very much about machine learning. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's so. How are you going to apply machine learning to these data sets? Um, it goes back to that same thing. Machine learning works best when I train it over long tail data, not short tail. Right. So we solved that problem. We've uh, we've brought the best uh, breed of open source into the service, and that includes not just Elasticsearch and Spark, but it includes bringing OpenML um, into this environment. So, so if I now zoom back and I have customers that have consolidated and, and collaborating on these data sets. Um, and then, so I think at last count, we were well about hundred petabytes of, of data managed across these different environments. Mm-hmm. We can now give unfair insight and analytics and search capability to that same data set to in turn, you know, coming back to the, the high level, help these customers not gain that insight, but improve their productivity, improve their customer experience, improve, improve their visibility, improve their, their security stance. Um, again, and I'll just pick on this just for a moment. The machine learning that we first applied is actually an audit. Um, so, because we've constantly had some of these customers, the most valuable data are these designs, right? right. And, so IP protection, and, and we already gave them the capability of saying who access what, where, when, why, and how mm-hmm. inside of Vision. Right. Now, marrying with ML, we can look at anomaly detection, and so you can look at bandwidth spikes. You can look at these different things right. and say, hey, quarantine this because something nefarious is going on. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of power inside of Vision. Very uh, proud to bring it on. It's a little bit of my baby in uh, bringing yeah. it to market. Um, and there's a lot of excite. There's a lot of excitement here for for us as a company, and I think overall gives us great growth trajectory uh, and helping customers. So I, I I would assume then one of the things I can start doing with what you guys are doing is um, 
like start feeding log data from all my, you know, I'm just being, I'm an infrastructure guy, right? So I'm just feeding log data from all my yeah. stuff in my data center, dump it into my local uh, Panzora instance, let you guys pull it up to the to the cloud and then later use Vision to analyze that data. Is that right? Um, you can certainly do that. So Vision not only gives you vision of your data, uh, but it does give you vision of your stack, okay. uh, which is what you're getting to. And in and if you look at the big growth trajectories of data, uh, a it's unstructured data, but inside there, machine data, you know, machine generated data is probably the biggest growth right. vector. Um, and so with that, uh, a there's over 300 out of the box data shippers that into Vision okay. that connects to really anything and everything out there. Or, or B, you can come through our filer to then uh, to analyze that search and analyze that data. Mm -hmm. Or C, you can actually go directly to the API. Oh, um, okay. Just JSON files and- So I don't necessarily have to be a, a Panzer customer? You do not have to be a Panzer okay. customer. It, it's almost like a Venn diagram. There is an overlap with, with our file uh, world, okay. uh, but there's that outside adjacent world where effectively you just want to take advantage of the service, you can do so. Huh, very good, very good. All right, well, we're about out of time. I think we can probably do a whole podcast just on vision, right? So that's yeah. uh, pretty interesting. Uh, any closing thoughts? Um, no, I, I, I'd say, I, I did say earlier that the vision had a double meeting, oh, yeah. right? Um, sometimes you, uh, you grow up with different things and I have a really rare eye disease. Oh. And so uh, Vision took on a double meeting for me because we wanted to A, give vision to data, but there's a lot of cool things going on in AI with uh, eyesight. And right. so, as I said, uh, so I in parallel have a Vision Bridge uh, org uh, where I help uh, kids uh, oh, working with different retinal diseases and eye diseases with Stanford. Um, and so pretty passionate about also helping in terms of where AI is going to be applied and more in the medical side of the things. Oh, that's great. Okay, cool. Uh, well, Patrick, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you. You're, you're welcome. Uh, and so for more information, obviously, we'll have stuff in the show notes uh, that you can uh, access. Uh, we'll have, we've done a lot of uh, write-ups on Panzora and uh, have certainly have more to come. And then uh, we'll link, obviously, to uh, Panzora's site to get more information on uh, both of the products we talked about today. For now, though, I'm George Crump, lead analyst of Storage Switzerland. Have a great day.